Imagine a night in which a thick fog covers the world, a fog that makes air travel very difficult. A fat man with a white beard, wearing a red and white suit and hat, needs to travel the planet in order to deliver Christmas presents before morning. But with the fog, he doesn't know if he can make it. The first house the man visits is the home of a young male deer, who has spent the day being picked on and laughed at by his peers for his birth defect. The man realizes that this youngster's birth defect might be just what he needs to complete his mission, and he convinces the young deer to help. Today I have the story of Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer on the 191st episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am Jeff Kelly, your host and storyteller. I hope everything is going great with you and yours. The weather is ever-changing here in Chicagoland comfortable one day, bitter cold the next. But I'm on a two and a half week vacation from work, so what do I care? Except when the dog forces me out to take her for a walk. So this is my last PsyCon Coffee with Jeff episode. I'll have more about that after today's story. I will say that I am planning on returning in January, fingers crossed. Now, I wanted to do something for the holidays, and my first thought was doing something about toys, like I've done in the past, but I couldn't find anything, well, interesting. Next, I thought I would do a story on the history of the Christmas tree. But after I wrote a page or so, I began getting very bored, and I thought, if I'm getting bored writing it, my listeners will get bored listening to it. Then I was looking at our Blu-ray copy of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I thought... That might make a good story, so I looked into it, and sure enough, there's plenty there for a Coffee with Jeff story. So I hope everybody enjoys it, even those who don't make Christmas as part of their winter celebration. So to all, no matter what you choose to celebrate, or even if you choose not to celebrate anything at all, I hope you have a fantastic December. So now grab a hot cup of coffee and get ready to hear the story of a copywriter in 1939 who was told to come up with a story for Christmas. You say the story's biographical. In many ways it is. The character had to overcome some negative aspects, obviously the red nose. My father, he grew up in a time where his parents skipped many grades. And so by the time he got to Dartmouth College, he was very small incredibly, incredibly brilliant, but small. For most people, or maybe I should say for most people of my generation, we know Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from both the popular song and the Rankin and Bass-produced stop-motion animated television special, which premiered in 1964. But the story of the reindeer with the glowing nose goes back to 1939. It was from a booklet written by Robert L. May and published by Montgomery Ward. Before, however, we get into that, let's look at how Santa Claus's fly and Rangifer Tarandus came to be such a large part of the Christmas season. 
Now, as far as I can tell, the first publication of Santa Claus having reindeer was from a poem called Oh, Santa Claus with Much Delight, published in 1821. The author of this poem is unknown. It begins with, Oh, Santa Claus with Much Delight, His reindeer drives this frosty night, O'er the chimney tops and tracks of snow To bring his yearly gifts to you. By the way, Santa Claus is spelled as one name, with no space between Santa and Claus. The poem is not only the first to mention Santa Claus's reindeer and sleigh, but also the first to describe his arrival on Christmas Eve. And the illustrations that accompany the story are also the earliest published artistic depictions of a Santa Claus figure. Two years later, in 1823, a visit from St. Nicholas, better known as Twas the Night Before Christmas, was published anonymously. You might remember the passage. And he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen. On Comet, on Cupid, on Dunder and Blitzem. In later printings, Dunder and Blitzem would be changed to Donner and Blitzen. Now, years after this poem was published, writer and American professor of Oriental and Greek literature, Clemens Clark Moore, claims to have written it while on a snowy winter's day during a shopping trip on a sleigh. Some scholars, however, doubt this is true and believe that Henry Livingston Jr. was the author. But perhaps that will be a future Coffee with Jeff episode. So now we have names for Santa's eight reindeer. Or do we? In 1902, L. Frank Baum, the author of the Oz books, published The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, in which the story of Santa from birth to old age is told. In that story, all the popular Christmas traditions are explained. But in Baum's story, there are ten reindeer. The names of the two main ones are Glossy and Flossy, and the other eight are Rancer and Prancer, Fearless and Peerless, Ready and Steady, and Freckless and Speckless. Baum's reindeer names didn't take off like the ones from A Visit from St. Nicholas. By the way, Rankin and Bass would also make The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus into an animated film in 1985. In Rankin and Bass's version, there would be only eight reindeer and they would go unnamed. Now in 1930, Chicago-based Montgomery Ward had a tradition of giving away coloring books for Christmas. And in the past, they've purchased these coloring books. But one year it was decided that creating their own book would save money and also be a nice goodwill gesture. In 1939, they approached a 34-year-old, low-paid in-house advertising copywriter named Robert L. May to write a cheery Christmas book for shoppers and suggested that an animal be the star of the book. May later said of his life at the time, Here I was, heavily in debt at nearly 35, still grinding out catalog copy. Instead of writing the great American novel, as I once hoped, I was now describing men's white shirts. It seemed I'd always been a loser. According to his daughter, he was a very sad man at the time. Now, there's a popular legend that May wrote the book to comfort his daughter because his wife, his daughter's mother, was dying of cancer and later sold the story to the department store. While he did have a daughter, the four-year-old Barbara, and his wife was dying of cancer, it's not true that he wrote it for that reason. He wrote it because, well, it was an assignment from his employer. He decided to focus on a reindeer because his daughter loved the deer in Chicago's Lincoln Park Zoo. The challenge for May was to figure out a way to use the animal to teach children. 
Suppose, May said, he were an underdog, a loser, yet triumphs in the end. But what kind of underdog? So he based much of the story on his own painful, shy childhood. He had been a very bright and intelligent child, so smart that he skipped grades, but found himself being teased and bullied by the older kids he was now in class with. He was taunted for being shy, small, and slight. For his character, he knew he had to come up with a reason for it to be picked on. And he said the idea came from staring out of his office window in the middle of one of Chicago's nasty winter days. The fog was coming off Lake Michigan. What if Santa had to make it through that, he thought. Suddenly I had it, he recalled. A nose, a big red nose that would shine through the fog like a spotlight. The next morning, he brought the idea to his boss, who responded, For God's sakes, Bob, can't you do better than that? But Bob May was determined, so he went over to the art department and talked to artist Denver Gillian. He asked Denver to draw a reindeer with a big red nose and asked him to make him look very appealing. The next weekend, they met at Lincoln Park Zoo, and as May held his daughter in his arms, Denver sketched a deer. Later, when his boss saw the sketches, he liked what he saw and told him to write the story. For the name, he knew it had to begin with an R, and he tried Reginald, Rollo, Rodney, Roland, Roderick, and Reggie before deciding on Rudolph. In a 1963 interview, he said he thought Rollo sounded too happy for a reindeer with an unhappy problem, and Reginald seemed too sophisticated, but Rudolph rolled off the tongue nicely. He continued to work as spring turned into summer, all the while his wife's condition continued to decline. Her parents, his in-laws, came to live with the three of them to help out. It was in July that she passed away. His boss gently offered to pass the book off to someone else. But I needed Rudolph now more than ever, he later said. Gratefully, I buried myself in the writing. When the final draft was close to being finished, he read it to his wife's parents and his daughter. In their eyes, I could see the story accomplished what I had hoped, he said in 1975. His bosses almost rejected the idea because they thought the large red nose sounded too close to alcoholism. It was written in a series of rhyming couplets. The original version began like this. "'Twas the day before Christmas, and all through the hill, the reindeers were playing, enjoying the spill, of skating and coasting and climbing the willows, and hopscotch and leapfrog protected by pillows, while every so often they'd stop to call names at one little deer not allowed in their games. Ha-ha, look at Rudolph, his nose is a sight. It's red as a beet, twice as big, twice as bright.' While Rudolph just wept, what else could he do? He knew the things they were saying were true. Now I want to point out that the teasing and cruelty directed at Rudolph were from the other children, not by Santa or the adult reindeer like in the later animated TV special. And in the book, Rudolph was not the son of Donner and his wife like in the 1964 show or the son of Blitzen in the 1998 film. He's just another reindeer who goes home on Christmas Eve, sad about being teased. He goes to bed hoping that Santa is going to be good to him because he's been good all year. But that night, the air's filled with fog, making travel hazardous and slow for Santa. Santa fears he will not be able to complete his yearly journey in time. As luck would have it, the first home he visits is that of Rudolph. 
Upon seeing Rudolph's nose, Santa realizes that he can speed things up by putting the young deer at the head of a sleigh. In the end, and I don't mean to spoil it for you, Rudolph becomes a hero. Montgomery Ward printed the story as a soft-covered booklet in 1939 and distributed 2.4 million copies for free. Even after that, May was still struggling financially, especially since, after the book came out, he had remarried and had a second daughter. Then Montgomery Ward did something amazing. They gave away the full rights to the story to May as a reward. Soon, May licensed a commercial version of the book, a hardcover version that was printed by the small publishing house Maxton Publishing Company. It was a bestseller with a total of 6 million copies distributed by the end of 1946. In 1948, an animated short film was produced and directed by Max Fletcher. May also created a full range of Rudolph-themed merchandise, including puzzles, Viewmaster Reel, snow globes, mugs, and slippers. One of May's daughters later said that May called his home the house that Rudolph built. But still, the story didn't enjoy the popularity as it does today. That wasn't until May's brother-in-law got involved. Songwriter Johnny Marks, May's brother-in-law, decided to turn May's story into a song. He added the intro, using the reindeer from Twas the Night Before Christmas, which was by then in the public domain. He opened it like this. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? The song was first sung by crooner Harry Brandon on New York City radio in early November 1949, but it was Gene Autry's version that made it famous. The story goes that it was suggested for a B-side for a record he was making, and Autry rejected it. It was his wife who convinced him to sing it. It hit number one in the U.S. charts during Christmas 1949. Of course, the song was recorded by many people over the years, including both Bing Crosby and Spike Jones and his City Slickers in 1950. The Cadillacs did a doo-wop version in 1957. Elvin and the Chipmunks performed it in 1960. Of course, there was the Burl Ives version for the TV special in 64. The Temptations did it in 68. The Jackson 5 in 1970, Mannheim Steamroller did an instrumental version in 1995, Destiny's Child sang it beautifully in 2001, and I'm sure there's been many more over the years. After this, Johnny Marks would sort of make Christmas songs his thing, writing 12 other songs over the next 15 years. And he also wrote all the songs for Rankin and Bass's TV special of The Rudolph Story. The story of the Rudolph TV special begins with a small studio called Videocraft International. The company was formed in 1960 by the team of Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. They had begun with an independently produced series, The New Adventures of Pinocchio, in 1960. This was their first project using what they called Animagic, a stop-motion animation process using figurines or puppets. They also produced a traditional cell-animated TV series called The Tales of the Wizard of Oz in 1961. But in 1964, they were still a struggling company, surviving mainly on producing commercials. It was when they teamed up with Johnny Marks, the writer of the Rudolph song, that they struck gold. They would use Marks to write several new songs for their special, including We Are Santa's Elves, We Are a Couple of Misfits, Silver and Gold, 
the most wonderful day of the year, and a holly jolly Christmas. The script for the hour-long TV special was written by an American screenwriter and actor, Romeo Miller. Romeo had already written the screenplay for the Rankin and Bass Return to Oz show in 1961. He would later say that he wanted to base the screenplay on the book, but couldn't find a copy. Most of the cast were Canadian actors. 43-year-old Canadian voice actress Billy Mae Richards was hired to play Rudolph. 42-year-old Larry D. Mann was Yukon Cornelius, and 34-year-old Paul Souls as Hermie the Elf. But the most inspired casting was that of Burl Ives, who voiced Sam the Snowman, who acts as the narrator. Originally, there was going to be no narrator in the story, but once it was decided to add narration, they thought of having Larry D. Mann do the narration in a Brooklyn accent. But it was General Electric, the sponsors of the project, who suggested bringing in singer and banjo player Burl Ives for the part. This would be big for Rankin and Bass, because from them on, they would make getting a big-name actor a goal in all their holiday projects. Arthur Rankin Jr. and his staff of artists did the storyboards for the stop-motion animation. Now, what's usually forgotten about when people talk about their specials was they were actually filmed by MOM Productions in Tokyo. Yes, for more than 50 years, you've been watching Japanese animation. The puppets were small. Rudolph measured about 4 inches high, Santa 8 inches, and Bumble 14 inches. More than 200 puppets were carved for the production. Now, like most, I enjoy the show. It was part of my childhood, but there were a few problems with it I'd like to bring up. Let me set the scene for you. Donner, Rudolph's dad, is embarrassed by his son's glowing red nose, so he covers it with some black mud. After Rudolph talks to a beautiful doe named Clarice, who tells him that she thinks he's cute, he flies around and impresses all the adults and Santa with his flying ability. When he lands, still excited over the comment, the mud pops off, revealing his glowing nose, and the teasing begins. It's Santa who says, Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. Cool, one thinks that Santa believes that Donner trying to hide his son's red nose was shameful, but that's not it. Santa follows this up with, What a pity, he had such a nice takeoff, too. What's the deal? Santa's automatically giving up on Rudolph as being a sleigh reindeer because of his nose? Because Rudolph is different? Because of a birth defect? And then the reindeer coach bans Rudolph from playing in any reindeer games because of his nose. This is unlike the original story in which it's just the other kids who have a problem with Rudolph. And why does wanting to be a dentist make Hermie a misfit? I think the North Pole would benefit greatly from having a dentist. And in the Island of Misfit Toys, what's the deal with that rag doll named Dolly? She seems perfectly normal. Why is she there? And why are there only six reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh, not eight? And at no point does anyone learn to be accepting of those that are different. They only, in the end, accept Rudolph because, well, they need him. Anyway, my rant is just me having a little fun. Let's get back to the story. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer became the first annual Christmas holiday special, and it's been shown on TV ever since it was first shown in 64. That's 55 years, making it the longest-running holiday special on TV. But what you see on TV today isn't what you saw on TV back in 64. 
In fact, there's been a number of changes. In the original TV version, it ended up with Yukon Cornelius discovering a peppermint mine near Santa's workshop. Santa never goes to the Island of Misfit Toys. You might remember that Rudolph, Hermie the Elf, and Yukon Cornelius promised to help them, but the misfits were never mentioned again. After the special was first aired, children began sending letters to the producers with the concern over the misfit toys. So quickly, a new ending was created with Santa and Rudolph finding new homes for these toys. Yukon discovering Peppermint? That was cut out. It's available on the Blu-ray version these days, but it hasn't been seen on TV since it was first shown in 64. Now, I haven't watched it on TV in years, but I've read that the TV version is terrible. Here are some reasons why. The following year after it was shown, the scene of Rudolph and Hermie singing We're a Couple of Misfits was cut and replaced with a new song and new footage of the duo singing Fame and Fortune. This seems to have been filmed at a later date because the trees are different. I mean, if you watch it, before they start the song, there's snow on the trees, but suddenly, once the song begins, the snow is gone. I can only imagine that this change was made because they felt they needed a more upbeat song for that sequence. In 1998, the Misfit song was rediscovered, and an edited version of the song was added. But not with the original footage. They used the fame and fortune footage, and that's why the mouths don't seem to come close to matching what they're singing. The soundtrack on the TV version is bad also. There's strange noises and the sound wobbles once in a while and there are harsh cuts and whatnot. The Blu-ray is a restored version. The version I own has We're a Couple of Misfits with the original animation. Fame and Fortune is nowhere to be found on the Blu-ray. But it also has the Finding Peppermint scene and the rescue of the misfit toys at the end. The Blu-ray version clocks in at 51 minutes, and that's probably why they don't use it for TV, because there's not enough room for commercials. But the huge success of Rudolph made Videocraft International into a major player in television. Soon they changed their name to Rankin and Bass Productions and continued on with holiday specials. My favorite is probably The Year Without a Santa Claus with the Snow and Heat Miser. In later years, they created some very weird specials, such as Rudolph's Shiny New Year, the sequel to Rudolph. It's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, one final thing. Remember Dolly the Rag Doll? The doll that seems perfectly normal, yet is on the island of misfit toys? Apparently, Arthur Rankin Jr. said in an interview in 2007 on NPR that her problems were, in fact, psychological caused from her being rejected and abandoned by her mistress and suffering depression from being unloved. For crying out loud! Fireball, what's the matter? G get away! G get away from me! <gasps> <laughs> hey, look at the beat! Hey, fire snow! Fireball, boss! Stop calling me names! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer! You should be ashamed of yourself. What a pity. He had a nice takeoff, too. All right, all right now, Yannings. Back to practice. Oh, no. Not you. You better go home with your folks. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? Right, right. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. 
Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. So a little bit before I go. You know, it's been a great run here on the Psychon Network. I still remember receiving my first email from Brecky asking me to join, and I assumed it was a scam or something, but of course it wasn't. And it's been more than a place to publish my podcasts. It made me feel like I wasn't wasting my time. Being insecure about my speaking voice, I was honored when I was asked to be a part of Geek Days. It made me feel a little better about the way I speak. But what I'm really grateful for when it comes to PsyCon is all the people I've met through the network. Tempo, Petter, Josh, Rebecca, John, Toreg, Polly, of course the Fries, Nancy and Gordon, and then there's Brecky. I'll always be so thankful that he asked me to be part of this. And I still have hope that many of these great podcasts will return. Shows like Geek Days, Pint Notes, The History Files, Who's Who, Moving On, and and there's quite a few more. All of them I enjoy listening to, and it's a shame they're not in production anymore, but you never know. So thanks to all those involved with PsyCon. I know we will continue to be in touch. And once I get settled setting up my new network, the Zeus Brothers Network, I plan on asking many of you if you would like to publish your podcast there. Of course, one step at a time, I need to get my podcast up and running first, and we'll see how it goes. So one last time, thank you, Brecky, for the last five years. You and your network have been, well, wonderful. And now, how about the ending credits? Even during this temporary shutdown, you can still email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. Your story ideas are always welcome. And I want you to trust me when I say often they're needed. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, then just go over to iTunes and leave a review or a few stars. That really helps. And remember, all the links that I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. Well, at least for a while anyway. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson from the bottom of my heart for having me on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 35 years for being my wife of 35 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you at the Psycon Network who helped me with my podcast over the years, especially the fries, Nancy and Gordon, who's filled in quite a few times when I couldn't do a show. Thank you so much. And to all of you out there who repost this on Facebook and Twitter or just generally support my show, thank you. It's been great, and hopefully I'll see you on the other side. Goodbye. Cream. Didn't like it, now he never looks back. Cool.